Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Now, it's Gabe time. Gabe Kuhn. Gabe Kuhn was one of the great little trivial nuggets in all football bios. His grandfather was the inventor of the Easy Bake Oven. Like a boss. The best lineman on the radio. Well, the only lineman on the radio. It's Gabe time. Game time. We're ready. The Gabe Coon Show. 92.9 FM ESPN. Happy Monday out there. August 7th, 2023. And welcome in to the Gabe Coon Show. I am your host, former Memphis Tiger offensive lineman. Gabe Kuhn on Twitter at G. Well, I shouldn't say on Twitter, on X at G underscore Kuhn 71. I'm alongside the executive producer of the Gabe Kuhn Show. That would be Connor Dunning on Twitter at CDunning929. Connor, how was your weekend? Oh, I had a great weekend, man. Yeah, I had a great rock weekend. Relax, probably unlike me. Yeah, yeah, I think that yours is probably a little bit more hectic than mine. I got to watch two amazing fights for free. Right. Yeah. That's, the, that's the greatest. Nice. The greatest documentation of F around and find out ever happened this weekend. In old Montgomery, Alabama. Huh? Was, I cannot stop watching that up, video. That may come up in small talk today. It's fantastic. At the end of the Checked out the new TMNT movie. That was good. That is kind of funny. We did have a UFC fight night this weekend, and we had Jake Paul, Nate Diaz. But the best fights were for free. They were we for had free. The, we had one breakout with the uh, Guardians and the White Sox. I have never seen a player. Get ab- absolutely dropped. He got slept. He got dropped. Tim Anderson got dropped by Jose Ramirez. That was that was something. And then the one at Montgomery, Alabama. I mean, there, somebody needs to do a full length breakdown of everything that has happened. I'm sure it's out there. There there are many. There are, there are many. <laughs> it is something. It was something. But outside of that, the Pac-12 lost a fight. There's no question. <laughs> they about also it. got slept. Yeah. They had ten <laughs> remaining members at the beginning of this offseason. Now they only have four. It's the Pac-4. My gosh, it's crazy. I, I knew on Thursday and Friday that it was inevitable, but to see it on Friday and Saturday just completely spiral out of control on them was unbelievable, Connor. I mean, it was insane. I mean, we're talking about the supposed conference of champions. There's a lot of history involved with some of those rivalries, Oregon, Oregon State, Washington, Washington State, USC, UCLA, all those are gone now. And you're left with, Oregon State, Washington State, Cal, and Stanford. And now Cal and Stanford may be on the way out with the ACC potentially plucking them. This is just, this is crazy. And we are headed down into a new frontier, and we have been for some time now, but headed into a new frontier of college athletics and the landscape as a whole. It's absolutely, positively insane what we've seen transpire. But also alongside that, we did have the Tigers in the Dominican Republic. Two and one. After losing to uh, the Dominican national team on Wednesday, last Wednesday. Um, but before we even get to that conversation, I think that one word I'd use, encouraging. I think that's a fair word I there, Connor? I think it's a very fair word to use, yeah. Yeah, they look good. They look good in the, in the two games after the, uh, after the Dominican national team. But 
Um, even in that game, the fight they showed was was pretty damn impressive. We talked about that to end last week. As far as guests are concerned on the show today, Jeff Calkins per normal at 5 o'clock. Jeff Calkins show and Daily Memphian columnist. And then 6 o'clock, I had him on two weeks ago before everything just spiraled out of control. But David Cobb from CBS Sports, college football and college basketball writer for them, will join the show. We'll talk about realignment. The coaches poll released today. And in the top five of the coaches poll, Georgia, Michigan, Alabama – I may have some problem with that I'll have to mention throughout the show. Ohio State and LSU. That's the top five, uh, according to the coaches, before we get into the college football season. On the Blitz today, Jaron Jackson Jr. voted the best player at training camp for the FIBA World Cup. I saw a lot of surprise reactions. I don't know if you, if you were able to see the same things, Connor, but I'm going to tell you why that should be the least bit surprising, that he was voted the best player there, Anthony Davis signed a long max extension, three years, $186 million. Annual contract, he made history, $62 million a year. Tied to the Lakers through 2028, that will be on the docket today. Um, and we'll have some uh, NFL to discuss as the show goes along as well. But I have to start with realignment. I am amazed. Colorado, Arizona, Arizona State, Utah, all off to the Big 12. And then following them, Washington and Oregon to the Big Ten. Now, there's a little bit of – you have to mention the fact that Washington and Oregon going to the Big Ten, it's going to be for a cheaper number for the given moment. Uh, It's going to be more than anything they were going to get, even if they signed a media rights deal with the Pac-12. We finally got an actual number on the base of the media rights deal that they were going to sign with Apple, $23 million plus incentives that would have potentially got them up there, but you'd have to meet the subscription incentives, and that's hard to do. But Washington and Oregon should make uh, somewhere in the ballpark of 50 to $60 million, while everybody else in the Big Ten is going to make 80 to $100 million. I do get a kick the entire time throughout this whole realignment process, bringing in USC and UCLA not too long ago, now bringing in Oregon and Washington. The Big Ten is a wolf in sheep's clothing. They've been trying to act very nice on the front, and we talked about it Thursday and Friday. They wanted to act as if they didn't want to be predatory toward the Pac-12. We don't want to take those teams and then make them go away for all intents and purposes. We don't want to be the reason the Pac-12 doesn't have any more history to write. But in (laughs) in the end of the day, Arizona's president, Bobby Robbins, who spoke with the media today, he said, we were showing up together talking about Washington, Oregon, Arizona, Arizona State, Utah. We were showing up together to sign our grant of rights over to the Pac-12 conference. And apparently, before the meeting even started, Connor, he was told by one of Oregon or Washington's presidents, 10 minutes before, 10 minutes before, we'll be taking our talents to the Big Ten. So this was agreed upon even before all these teams defected to the Big 12. This was agreed upon before they even went into the meeting to potentially sign the grant of rights over to the Pac-12. The Big Ten has tried to act nice on the front end, but the back end shows that, no, they're not a wolf in sheep's clothing. They're a wolf in wolf's clothing. What, I I guess, you know, how do we look at the Pac-12, though, learning all of this, (laughs) that all of this stuff was happening right under their nose, and they just either were too naive to believe it to be true, they didn't want to believe it to be true, or they just let it happen. It's it's very – I don't understand – their behavior over the we, last year and a half. If, if any of this stuff was going on, how were they able to keep it a secret from the Pac-12, I guess is my question. We view it through the same lens we viewed the Pac-12 through for a while. 
as a conference that has some elitist principles when it comes to education, and they deny, they have denied trying to expand up until now. Now they want to expand, and that's going to be really, really hard to do. There's only four teams left. And if you're trying to go get teams from other conferences, you're stuck with a lot of group of five schools. In the Mountain West, I'll talk about it in a second, it's going to be really hard to bring any teams from the Mountain West over because of an exit fee. So you view it through the same uh, prism we viewed it through this whole time. They had a chance back in the day to attract a Texas and an Oklahoma and a Texas Tech. They didn't do it. They had a chance when the Big 12 was in a really weird spot to form an alliance with them. But instead, they go with the Big Ten and form an alliance with them, and the Big Ten takes their, their premier members. It's just we view it through the prism of lack of foresight, and consistently we've seen this throughout the process uh, since the Pac-12 added Colorado and some of these other schools. They have done the same things. They've tried to let rest on their laurels, and you cannot do that in this current day and age of college athletics. There's too much money being thrown around, and you have to be at the top of the money makers to really survive. And they, they made a conscious decision uh, over the years to um, sort of rest on what they had. And we find out now that was the worst decision they could have made. You know what it reminds me of? And guess what? I'm about to bring a movie no, into this man, discussion. Yeah, movie reference. It reminds me of Don't Look Up, the movie of Don't Look Up, when the meteor was, was heading towards Earth. Everybody knew it was coming, but just a large population decided to deny it because they didn't want to think about it happening. And then once it was here, it was too late to do anything about it. And it just feels like over the last 14 to 16 months that everybody around the Pac-12 has seen the writing on the wall here. We've all seen the movement. We knew that this was a potential end game of this. And it really felt like that they were sitting there and just saying, no, everything's fine. Everything's fine. While everything was on fire behind them. And it's just, it didn't make much sense to me. And to be quite honest, when that Apple TV proposal came up, that felt like they put the nail in their own coffin. It was pretty remarkable to see how bad of a deal that really was after a a month ago, he was saying at at PAC 12 media days, like, no, 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 we're waiting and seeing, we're going to have a deal come to us. If we, the longer we wait, the better the deal is going to be. And it turned out the longer you waited, the worse the deal it was. I I hate being right, but about a month and a half ago, (laughs) I really do hate being right in this instance because we're watching a full on entire side of the map in college athletics. It's dissolving. Dissolving. Like that hurts me. That hurts me in a lot of ways. But about a month and a half ago, I said, all this optimism they're trying to show, all this, oh, well, the TV deal is going to be signed before you know it. We're not going to do it at Pac-12 Media Days, but right thereafter, we'll be right on par with the Big 12 and the rest of college athletics. I knew then that it was over for them. I didn't want to fully grasp onto that, but I knew then. Showing all that optimism, you're just putting on a brave face knowing that in the end of the day, you were going to get screwed over. Now you're left with a pack four of Oregon State, Washington State, Stanford, and Cal. The depressing part of this whole thing, again, you have the whole side of the map basically wiped off the face of the earth ultimately, and they're going to have to align elsewhere. But I do hate, in this day and age of college athletics, regionality, the tribalism we've come used to in college football, it's gone. For the sake of a dollar, ultimately. Oregon leaves behind Oregon State. What happens to Oregon and Oregon State? Washington leaves behind Washington State. What happens with the Apple Cup going into the future? Those were games that got latched onto by those people in those states, by the West Coast. And we don't know what the future is going to hold for those rivalries. Like, that part of it really does frustrate me because the regionality, the the 
um, rivalries over the years that have formed through hundreds of years of playing those games, they're gone. They're gone. Well, it's another example, and you've been beating this drum for a while during conference realignment slash consolidation that it's unfortunate, you know, these moves make sense for the, I think, the conferences that went to the Pac-12 teams and said, hey, do you all want to come here for this amount of money? I think that, you know, it makes sense from a business standpoint, but just because something makes sense from a business standpoint doesn't mean that the fans are doesn't getting what, make it what fair, they deserve. Doesn't mean the consumer's going to love it. Once again, at the end of the day, when it comes to money in football, the fans are the last people it feels like thought about because we're losing these games. We're losing the regionality. We're using we're losing the pageantry. You know, the Pac-12. Yeah. We can kind of clown on them right now because of all this stuff went down. But at the end, but it, it's also still sad to see one of the major conferences of this sport of college athletics dissolve within two weeks it felt like Like, we knew it we felt like it was coming but it happened so fast it it is sad at the end of the day because a lot of fans are now kind of just left in no man's land Mm -hmm. now the big 12 i think got themselves better ultimately colorado goes back arizona arizona state utah is really good i mean they've won the pac-12 and they do a lot with a little with that football program other sports probably not so much but the big revenue generating sport utah will add a lot to the Big 12, and I think they doubled down in a big way on basketball just by adding Arizona. Colorado we can talk about. Um, you know, Tad Boyle's been there a while, and they've been solid up and down. Uh, they they have been in some uh, uh, NCAA tournaments. They just signed a five-star this past season and Cody Williams in basketball. So I, I guess there's some redeeming quality about Colorado's basketball program and the football program with Deion Sanders. But I think the Big 12 did a good job. Washington and Oregon of the Big Ten's interesting to me, though. Um I guess if you're the if you're the Big Ten, all you view though, when you see Washington, you view that through the prism of hey, this is Seattle we're getting, and Oregon, you view that through the prism of hey, this is Portland we're getting. I mean, that's all they really care about, and I think they added more money to the conference long term. So when they re up in media rights in seven years, they're going to get a bigger number. They were going to get a bigger number anyway, but they're trying to prep themselves for the future of college athletics up into sixteen teams. Maybe we get to twenty by the end of this whole thing. Um, but what now? What now for the remaining four? It's not something you really want to have to worry about. They cannot go forward in 2024 playing a conference slate with four teams. I think that the math doesn't math there unless you're playing everybody twice and then some teams three times. It's just not how a conference schedule would work. Um, and the Apple money that was on the table, $23 million plus incentives, is not going to be there for the, these four teams. It just It won't be there. They must align realistically with somebody else or add teams to the Pac-12. And likely these teams that they need to align with conference-wise are group of five, unless it's the case of, uh, of Stanford and uh, Cal, who could potentially go to the ACC. But we are officially now to a power four structure in college football. That's where we're at. Now, Pete Thamel has said on the ACC and Cal and Stanford, Uh, In the next 24 hours, there's two calls for the ACC to vet and have early exploratory uh, discussions on the potential addition of Cal and Stanford. One is for the ACC athletic directors. The other is for league presidents and chancellors. And this is his favorite word right now, but it's a fluid, fluid situation and landscape for the four leftover Pac-12 schools. And there's a myriad of options being discussed. This is one of them. Um, So if I'm looking at a way forward for them, ultimately. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. 
Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. The first and most obvious way forward is one by one they have to find new landing spots. Stanford and Cal ACC smoke is real. Uh, People have also tried to create Cal and Stanford to the Big Ten discussions. But where does that leave Oregon State and Washington State? They're not that wanted. They don't hold a, a, a major market. Ultimately, and I, I think when you look at their, uh, the entirety of their athletic departments, they're just not that great. Stanford's a good athletic department, really good academics. Uh, Cal, maybe less on the athletic department front, but academically, they are good, and they're in the state of California. So that's, that's first and foremost. One by one, these four schools are probably going to have to find a new landing spot. Two, this has been floated, and I don't really know how this would have to work because there's uh, – the thought of a 16-team Mountain West Conference taking all of the four schools left and joining it with joining forces, Mountain West and Pac-12, a merger of sorts. Um, now, the Pac-12 really wants to stay alive in this whole conversation, um, and they think, okay, maybe we could get some Mountain West Conference schools to join us in the Pac-12 and we could stay alive for another year as an AQ and be in a good spot, at least for 2024 in football where a team would be able to get into the college football playoff. But here's the issue you have with Mountain West Conference schools joining the Pac-12. Don't hold your breath. Please don't. Because the departing fee by 2024 for Mountain West teams that want to leave the conference is $34 million. How are you going to be able to recover that? In a sh- definitely not a short period of time. And even over a longer period of time, how are you going to be able to recover that? The TV media rights deal that would ultimately be signed in the Pac-12 for 2024 on will not be on par. It won't, it won't be $23 million with incentives to get it over with Apple TV. That number is going to come down. The incentives will come down. So if I'm a Mountain West team, like in the past, you say, okay, that's one of the Power Five conferences. They have uh, sort of automatic qualifiers. They are, they are thought of higher, but no, they're not in this case. So if I'm a Mountain West Conference team that is being approached by the Pac-12 about leaving, I'd probably say no. What do you think about the flip side of that? Because, you know, today <clears throat> and over the weekend, Oregon State and Washington State have also been linked to the Mountain West in terms of cultural fit. They said that they could yep. fit there. But when you look at the actual numbers of the situation, you kind of have not, you have a different problem but a similar problem in that, you know, Oregon State and Washington State are used to having a $30 million revenue deal from TV. You go to the Mountain West, you're not getting that. You're not getting that by far. So you'd have to completely change the way that your athletic department operates if you want to make that type of a move. So even though it makes sense from a cultural standpoint, when you look at the business side of it and the money, it gets, it gets tricky. And the Pac-12 is going to do everything they can to try to hold things together and bring teams in. Right. That's what they're selling all four of these schools right now. But I think all four of these schools have come to a realistic uh, thought process on this whole thing. We have four schools. This is not going to work going forward, and adding other teams is going to be nearly impossible. I guess the third part, and I've heard a little bit of smoke around this because we are in AAC country here with the University of Memphis, I guess the fourth one here is join the AAC and see what you can make happen from there on if you're the Pac-12. But again, the Pac-12, the commissioners, or the commissioner is going to do everything he can to hold it together. And I don't know how that would ultimately work. And if any of those schools would want to align themselves with the American Athletic Conference. I think it would make this conference substantially better, but 
that's in the meantime, and I, I don't know if that's where they want their future, if they want to stake their claim uh, with the AAC for the rest of their, their athletic future. I don't, I don't think any of these teams want to do that. Any of these schools want to do that. I don't want to put you on the spot too much, but if you had to bet where each of these schools land, do you think that they end up staying with the Pac-12 or find home somewhere else? Stanford, Cal, to the ACC seems to have some smoke right now. It makes then sense. Oregon State and Washington State, I, I fear the worst for them. I fear that the, the best they can do is try to align after 2024 with the Mountain West, and we'd move from there. That would make the Mountain West better, but Oregon State and Washington State don't move the needle. State schools that don't hold a massive audience in their particular state that are down the pecking order in their own state. It's going to be really hard for them to operate going forward as a power conference school like they have been for some time now. And that's, that's definitely that's tough to see. Um, I thought Deion Sanders, I don't know if you saw this quote, Connor. I thought Deion Sanders made a great point, and Jeff made this point on Thursday uh, with us. But Deion Sanders on conference realignment, he said, all this is about money. You know that. It's about a bag. Everybody's chasing a bag. Then you get mad at players when they chase it. How is that? And that's the end of the quote. Deion Sanders is pointing out the hypocrisy of the entire conversation about Congress trying to jump in and put guidelines on NIL and transfer portal and everything else. You want to control the players, but you can't even control the landscape of college athletics as a whole. Because you want money right this second. The players want money as well, but you want to put guidelines on the players, not on the grown-ups in this entire conversation. The hypocrisy with this entire iteration of realignment, reconsolidate, whatever the hell you want to call it, the hypocrisy is massive, and it gets annoying to At, consistently have to deal with. Without a doubt, and that's why, you know, people can preach about how this makes sense business-wise for some of these conferences, but at the end of the day, it, it does feel gross because of exactly that. I saw another coach, I can't remember who it was or w- what school it was, but he said, I thought the transfer portal was closed, was his, was his <laughs> comment, and I thought that that was pretty good too because there is – a hypocrisy that comes with this conversation when, you know, a lot of the coaches that were involved in some of this conference consolidation have been on record talking about how they don't like players moving around. So it's just, it, man, it, it's a, uh, it's nasty business, nasty business. It is nasty business. <laughs> it really is. And uh, I, I do wonder, you know, when we talk about some of the non-revenue generating sports, this is going to affect them largely. Oh yeah, for sure. Well, just because when you just talk about regions now, how yep. far these schools have to travel just to play some of these sports. You know, yep. we're talking about the basketball and the football teams, but Rutgers what are, to Eugene, Oregon on a Wednesday night for women's soccer. What does that look like? Right. Or volleyball or or field hockey for some of these. Like it's it's some it's going to affect more than just football and basketball for all of these schools. So that's why it's gonna be but, such a major shakeup. Well, and and <laughs> It's kind of funny because I think in all of these conversations, we even separate football from everything else. Like basketball isn't even part of these conversations. Basketball doesn't even make its way in there because it doesn't generate enough revenue. These TV media rights deals are on the backs of football and football only. Right. So you do have to bring up the question. I think Rick Pitino, right, at St. John's now, brought up the question about if we're going to keep regionality in some of these other sports, which is what makes the rivalries great, why don't we have the football football break off and govern themselves so we can keep with traditions that ultimately help our sport more than they help football. Like, I completely understand that thought process. I don't think we're that far away from that, though. I just, 
it's just it's still kind of hard to process that a hundred and eight year old conference is just gone in the blink of an eye. Yep, it is very hard to process. Now we do have football fall camps rolling on around the country, and with that we have a coaches poll, preseason poll Ooh. that got released today. Yes, coaches voted. And they have Georgia number one, Michigan number two, Alabama number three, Ohio State number four, LSU number five. The only group of five team that made it in was Tulane at 23. 24 and 25, two Texas teams that are uh, way down the list, Texas Tech and A&M at this point. Um, But I have to say, of all of the rankings, and this would not be how I would usually think on this poll and, and pollsters in general in the preseason when we're talking about football. The biggest problem I have, believe it or not, Alabama at number three, ahead of a team in LSU who won the SEC West last year, didn't get worse at any positions, um, uh, ahead of Ohio State, um, who, who should be in a good spot in the Big Ten, ahead of all, I mean, USC, Penn State, Florida State, Clemson. Alabama clearly gets a nod from the coaches for Nick Saban there at the top, and I understand that. What he's been able to accomplish over the years at multiple, I mean, at LSU, he did some good things at Michigan State. What he's done at Alabama is nothing short of spectacular. Six national championships in his career, three in a short period of time here since the 2010s. Like, it's been impressive as hell. But at the same time, go look up and down that roster. At the top, quarterback. They don't have quarterback figured out. They had to bring in Tyler Buckner from Notre Dame, who was the backup to start last year, to try to see if they could get something out of him because Jalen Milrow and Ty Simpson couldn't get it done. Left tackle. They haven't replaced the left tackle and had to deal with that in a long time. They don't know who's going to play. They don't know who's going to start. The offensive line didn't have a great year last year either. I look up and they have an OC in Tommy Reese who wasn't overly great at Notre Dame, but he's going to come in and try to run the ball. Kevin Steele comes from Miami where his defense was ranked 69th nationally last year. If you read the tea leaves around this Alabama team, they're not the number three team in the country. I understand the Nick Saban thought process and his tenure has been amazing. But when you look at this roster and compare it to other rosters around the country that performed better last year, that have more continuity, that is not the number three team in the country. And it's very interesting. It's very. I want to see what the AP does because I think the media usually has a different thought process on this. But Alabama being ahead of the likes of LSU and, and USC uh, and Florida State and Clemson, I just I don't know if I can get on board with that. There's a two-loss team last year that has to replace the number one quarterback that was taken in the NFL draft, the number one pick. So I think people need to pay attention to that while they look at this coach's preseason poll. Um, some other notable uh, sort of spots here. Tennessee comes in at number 10. So that's, that's cool to see. And Ole Miss. Another local, 22. What What'd you think of USC at six? Uh, I don't mind it at all. They've done everything they can to try to bolster that defense. They bring in Bear Alexander. I've talked about him being Oh, you love a, you some Bear. Yeah, he's going to be a starting D lineman. He, the high they, rise, they, They're baby. trying to get better. He's at a high-rise apartment in L.A. now. They spent a lot of money this offseason in IL funds to try to bolster that defense with Caleb Williams on the other side and a great offensive line returning. So I, I think they'll be very good. And in the Pac-12 right now, it's them, and then we'll see who sort of falls in line. Washington's got to show it to you with Michael Penix in year two. He was great in year one. Uh, Oregon and Utah are usually right there, but they're going to have to continue to show it. I think USC with Lincoln Riley in year two, they were on the college football playoff precipice last year. 
I, I, I like my chances at USC um, being at least close and, and, and potentially getting in the college football playoff this year. I have no problem with them at number six. Uh, Florida State ahead of Clemson. Interesting. I get the continuity part of it. You bring in Keon Coleman. You have Jordan Travis as your starting quarterback. He's got a lot of experience under his belt. But Clemson has to be dethroned before I fully buy into Florida State uh, and Mike Norvell winning the ACC and being in the college football playoff this year. Clemson, Clemson's the big fish. Florida State has to dethrone them. I think that's fair. It's a big year for Norvell down there. While we're still on the topic, though, of all this stuff going on, I, Notre Dame sitting at, at 13. I, I'm not necessarily asking you about the ranking more so. Do you think that the movement that happened over the weekend changes Notre Dame's plan at all? Do you think no. that they're still going to sit, sit there? They're going to sit there independent yeah. as long as they can. brother. And I, I think there was reports late last week of them wanting to do that. And – I think it's ironic with how historic that program is football-wise. They've had the chance. They have the chance right now. If they told the Big Ten they wanted to be a part of the conference, they have the chance to make more money year by year on a media rights deal. But they want the flexibility, and they want to make their own money. They're not just jumping at the most money. They're jumping at the money that they can keep in their corner, that they can keep a, a monopoly on. It's strange that they're one of the few basically the only one in FBS Division I college football that's not just jumping at the chance to make $80 million over a figure of $45, $50 million. They're not jumping at that conference. They're not jumping at the money. They're, they're trying to sort of play it out and do what they've always done. So um, I do wonder if there's a point in the future of college football where they have to jump into a conference, but I don't think we're at that point yet. I don't think we're at that point yet. Now, the Tigers were in the Dominican Republic. Last week and over the weekend, they end up going 2-1 and one after that, uh, that loss they took at the hands of the Dominican national team. But one word, encouraging, is what I'd use to describe the trip as a whole. I'll tell you why. On the other side, 92.9 FM ESPN. Back in on the Gabe Coon Show, 92.9 FM ESPN. The Tiger basketball team just finished up their little tour in the Dominican Republic. They should be headed home. Um, but three games, two and one, ultimately, and the word that I can use is encouraging. They hadn't run five-on-fives before making this trip, but yet against two separate versions of the Dominican Republic national team, they win games relatively handily, even against the Dominican Republic national teams themselves, the ones that will be competing here relatively soon in the FIBA World Cup, 91-84. I, I thought ultimately, before we even get into – Individual performances, Connor, uh, it's about as encouraging as you could imagine uh, as we sort of sit here at the beginning of August. Right. I think that a lot of people's expectations for this team is to potentially be the best one that Penny Hardaway has ever had. And, and I mean, They're definitely the oldest team he's ever had, which is a great thing because they're going to be poised and being able to handle any pressure that's going to be thrown at them. And I think that we saw that over these games. Even the game that they lost, they were able to bounce back in that second half. They showed their maturity and being able to battle back and you know get that game within three points at, at one point. So I think encouraged is a perfect word to use for it, the weekend. It feels as if they have at this point you know, between Caleb Mills, Jordan Brown, Javon Quinterly, Jaquan Walton, uh, when David Jones joins the team, he wasn't even part. I mean, he was with the Dominican national team while, while they were doing this trip. It feels like they have four or five guys, potentially, if DeAndre Williams joins the fold, maybe even six that could go for 20 any given night. What I like about this weekend, too, is that it, it did calm my nerves a bit about, you know, worst-case scenario if DeAndre Williams isn't able to join this team. I still... 
you still know, feel have good expe- about it. Still feel good about it, but let's say that he can't. You still feel pretty confident in this team, even without DeAndre Williams, because of how they showed this weekend. I just, I, you know, I thought it was impressive. Mm-hmm. And and I think we also showed throughout the process, um, especially in that second game. I'm going to have to get the name here in a second. Uh, 105-98 win against Trenes del Este. It's one of the Dominican Republic select teams. Um, you saw that there was sort of a pecking order that formed sort of game to game. Right. Depending on who had the hot hand, guys were deferring. In that game in particular, it was the second game out there, again, 105-98 to 98 against one of the national teams. Javon Quindley had nine assists. Jaquan Walton went for 27. He was all over the floor. I mean, he was fantastic. And they gave him, you finally saw the three-point ability that he possesses. He went four for six. But you saw guys starting to defer to their teammates and like this early in the game without everybody that's going to be a part of the fold to see that sort of form, that's nice. Because that's the biggest question about this team. How well can they gel and how quick can they gel? Right. And for them to sort of half-to-half, um, quarter-to-quarter, find a way to make that happen, that is a – Damn encouraging sign. It, the, the weekend also proved, you talked about him, and I'm not breaking any news here, but Javon Quinterly is going to be so important to the yep. success of this team moving forward. He was able. It seemed like after that first half of the first game that they played that they were really kind of running the offense through him and letting him, allowing him to set up the table for his teammates. And like you said, there really was kind of a pecking order. That that developed over time in the last in the last game that they played uh, on Sunday when they won eighty five to sixty three. Jordan Brown really kind of emerged as the guy to go to twenty three and, and eleven. And he only and only twenty minutes of play nine nine of eleven from the floor. That's exactly what you wanted to see. And he was also moving the ball. He had a couple assists. And they were down Jaquan Walton for eating bad salmon, dude. It's, it sounded like trip, a lot right? of people yeah. got taken down by that salmon. I guess salmon. so. Where did they eat? Slick we Rick be got careful. taken down by the salmon too. We, we need to talk. We need to talk to the restaurant and see what the hell they did. Were they were they trying? To get to the Were Dominican select to, teams, trying to, uh, game, up? Yeah. trying to flu game the <laughs> the, the it didn't Tigers. help though because even without Jaquan Walton, they won eighty five to sixty three. Um, but I, I just sort of watching it, being in and out, and um, sort of seeing the streams. There's two guys that emerge from this trip, in my opinion, as just pros. Pros. I know they're at the collegiate level, but they've played for a long time, and I'm not surprised by this in any way, shape, or form. The consistency, the ability you see from J- uh, uh, Javon Quinterly and then from Jordan Brown, it's going to be apparent as we get into next year. They've been around. They've been up in pecking orders. They've been down in pecking orders. They've had multiple stops. They sort of know how to conduct themselves, even on short notice. And that's what this entire trip was. They had not run five-on-fives but once before they made this trip. Those guys are so important to have because they they – understand their talent, they've been around the block multiple times, and they sort of know where to fall in line, when to fall in line, how to fall in line. I'm extremely excited to watch Jordan Brown play basketball, especially if he's able to play next to DeAndre Williams, because I think the combination of those two guys, having the definition of dogs out there for the Memphis Tigers would just put fits I mean, and in other there, teams. Is there any real question, and I guess we'll see as we get into the season who sort of emerges, but... That would be a top two, top three Gotta front be. court. Got to be in the country. There's just, like when we talk about production, returning production, and what these guys have been able to do. When we talk about experience, that's ten years plus of experience between the both of them. It would have to be top two, top three in the country as soon as we tip off next year. Yeah, either guy can give you twenty and ten on any given night. DeAndre Williams would, of course, be kind of the quarterback of the defense, as as he usually is, and a lot of times the offense used to run through him. That's another thing that I like about this team too is that I think that it has shown that 
even if you have DeAndre Williams on this roster, which, again, I totally agree with John Martin here that it makes them a top 15 team if you add DeAndre Williams to this team. But even without him, you're gonna like you're not gonna have to run the offense through him. You're gonna be able to run it through some of these other guys. Let them set things up. It's not just gonna be dependent on guys like DeAndre Williams or Kendrick Davis, like it kind of fell into a few times last season. It, it really like feels said, like this is they have options. They've got even, options without this DeAndre year. Williams. You have five guys that can go give you twenty with DeAndre right. Williams at six. Right. I mean, just they can go fill it up any given night. Um, now people will have questions about hierarchy and pegging order, but these are older players. And it seemed like they sort of found a little bit of that while they were there. And Jordan Brown, I had made the point about whoever sort of running point, this in this case, Javon Quinterly, making sure to be intentional about getting Jordan Brown the ball on a consistent basis because he's a low-post guy. Penny Hardaway has never really had this type of force down there before, but that figured itself out. I mean, Jordan Brown in the first game, 10, 10 attempts. Uh, from the field, 12 attempts in the second game, and then in the third game right up there as well. So, like, you found that they are going to uh, go out of their way to be intentional about getting a, a talent like Jordan Brown the ball. Right, and it just it, – because, you know, over the last few years, I thought – I've always been a uh, – you know, I've always kind of tried to champion Alo as much as I could because I thought that he was kind of the heartbeat of those teams. And But at the end of the day, we've got to be honest about it, you had question marks about his ability to run an offense from the point guard position, even though he did so many good things for your team, and he did lend, lead the, the, to the so creating, many wins. But the, the creation factor yep. – from him was always something to be desired a bit. And after you had Kendrick Davis, like I said, you, you kind of were relying on DeAndre Williams to get that offense running. I just think it's so important now that you know that you have guys like Caleb Mills and Javon Quinterly that and can Jaylen run that Young offense. Jalen Young. You don't, you're not just relying on one, one real point guard and then the second guy coming in, you're like, well, he can kind of do it. You have three bona fide guys, and then you add DeAndre Williams to it that can run an offense for you. And I think it's going to be so important to this Memphis Tigers team. And I think you really saw as the games went on, they were shooting better, they were taking care of the ball better, they were assisting better, and I think it's because they were starting to figure out how to play together, and they had control of the basketball. They weren't throwing it away every time. And I think that's something Penny Penny has learned Absolutely. Through, through the Kendrick Davis process. You need somebody setting the table, right? whoever that may be. I, I, I doubt going into the future we'll ever, because through the first four years you had always had questions because of how he attached himself to Alex Lomax about, okay, who is going to run everything? I don't think we'll find ourselves in a situation going into the future where Penny Hardaway leaves himself with his pants around his ankles I don't think with, so. a, with a point guard. He, he knows that that is massive when it comes to setting up and assisting and, and basically facilitating wins. At the college level, you need a backcourt that's worth their salt, that can handle the ball, that's not going to turn the ball over. And Javon Quinterly fits that. Jalen Young fits that. Caleb Mills did a good job with it. Well, I, I think that's another reason to be encouraged about this Memphis basketball season is because of the growth of Penny Hardaway. We've yep. seen every single year he has gotten better on those sidelines, and I don't and I don't expect that to stop this season. He has shown the ability to adjust when he finds the times that he needs to. He has taken the criticisms over the year, which I think some of them were fair, and he has shown that he's going to improve and grow as a basketball coach. And that is so encouraging if you're a Memphis Tigers fan, and it's important to the growth of the program, not just from a roster standpoint, but from a game-to-game standpoint. Now, I was somewhat impressed with a couple of freshmen. Um, yeah, One, Carl Sharonfont. Yeah. And I'll bring up J.J. Taylor in a second, because he, the inconsistencies are going to be there, and I'll tell you why. Still good to second. see last night. But Carl Sharonfont averaged nine points a game, right around five rebounds per game, shot relatively well from the field. Did not seem like a guy who needs the ball in his hands to affect winning. 
I, the, the, the hustle up and down the floor was impressive. I, the only question I have about all these freshmen is where's the, where are the minutes going to be? Like, how are they going? How is Penny Hardaway going to go about finding minutes for some of these freshman guys with all of these experienced, talented guys ahead of them? But Carl Sharon Font, I mean, just a, I'm not going to call him a microwave, but he literally brings energy on both ends of the floor every single timeout, at least these three games we just saw. It seems like the coaching staff is very excited about the potential growth that he could show this season. But, yeah, it's, that's another thing that I liked is that, you know, I, I don't want to try to take too many take positive things away from this tournament, and things could change over time as we get into the regular season. But it also felt like you said there was a natural pecking order on the team, and it felt like guys kind of understood their roles. And even though you do have a lot of talented players on this roster that, you know, some could argue that they deserve minutes, but there is a talent there. Like, hey, I can only give minutes to so many guys. It doesn't feel like there's going to be infighting as much or there's going to be too much chirping about mouths to feed. I think that that is one thing that you can also take from this. It seemed like guys were okay with the well, role, and when they, when they got in there, they were like, okay, now it's my time to prove something. There wasn't any pouting, which, I'm not, I'm which not, I like. I'm not concerned about the transfer portal guys right? Having there being a whole lot of infighting. These are fourth, fifth, third, fourth, fifth, six-year guys that, hey, man, like at this point, uh, yeah, I, I could be worried about my pro career, but at the same time, I need to worry about what I'm doing right here, and that I need to maximize this moment. Yeah, I need I, I need to maximize this, get my NL money, NIL money, and you know maybe later if everything works out and we have a good run, I can worry about my pro career later. Like the Jordan Browns, Javon Quinn, or at least Jaquan. Like I, I, I worry a little less about them. It's about the freshmen because these some of these guys, like JJ Taylor, is a relatively highly touted guy. He was the number one recruit at one point. He sort of fell down those boards after a while. Um, but but you do worry about him and if there will be playing time for him and, and how that sort of weighs on his psyche ultimately. He's not a very consistent player at this point. I didn't expect him to be a consistent player at 18 years old in, in the Dominican Republic on August 1st. I, I didn't expect that by any stretch of the imagination. Um, but the talent's there. 22 points yesterday, 9 for 14 from the field, hit a couple of threes. I mean, this guy has ability. It's just about maximizing it, isn't it? That is the big argument against him as a player is off the court. Are you going to lift? Are you going to put in the hours? Are you going to go that extra mile to really make yourself a valuable piece on both ends of the floor night to night for a basketball team? And we have to see that sort of in motion before we sort of see what J.J. Taylor's role is going to be. But 22 points in that final game, I was, I was impressed. And I, I, I knew I'd be impressed with his skill set, but it's about everything else. It's about off the floor that we, we really have to sort of uh, hone in on J.J. Taylor. He's got to hone in on, on working on his craft consistently. Without a doubt, the talent is absolutely there. You saw flashes of it throughout the weekend, especially last night, but he's at a point where now it's time that preparation needs to meet that talent, you know what I mean? And, and hopefully you get an opportunity to show what you are. But I think the hope is, at least from, from my viewpoint, is that having these transfer portal guys and these older players around him, they can show him how to get things done. You know, yeah. they, they, He but, needs to look at these guys and say, they've been successful in college basketball. They've been able to maximize their talents. How can I do the same thing? And if he can go into the season with that mindset, I know that he's a highly touted recruit, and he deserves all of the praise that he got. But now it's time to where you need to lock down, prep, and really get to work in the lab so you can be part of this team moving forward. And if that is if that is a cherry on top of what happens this season, it's a home run for the Tigers. Now, also this weekend, while the Tigers were playing in the Dominican Republic, we have to give a quick shout-out to Joey Dorsey, man. 
Yes. Graduated from the University Joey. of Memphis 15 years. 15 years after that national championship run. How about that? He might be my favorite Tiger ever. I loved Joey Dorsey, man. I love Joey Dorsey. The, I, he was. It was like well, watching the Hulk play basketball. I was going to say ultimate dirty work guy. <laughs> ultimate, like, don't give me the ball. I don't want the ball. Let me go get these rebounds and give you a double-double every night. I don't remember him shooting or or, or <laughs> taking a layup. I think he just dunked. I don't, have, <laughs> I don't have a single memory of Joey Dorsey actually shooting a basketball or laying it up. It was just about—my memories are only involved Joey Dorsey about to rip down— Rip down a rim or sending a shot five rows into the seats. But yeah, shout out to Joey Dorsey, man. A 15 years after that 2008 run, graduate 2023 graduate of the University of Memphis. Joey Congratulations, Dorsey. one of the well greats. well done, well done, absolutely one of the greats. Now Jeff Calkins is one of the greats in Memphis media. We'll talk to him next. How about that? Right here on the Gabe Coon Show, 92.9 FM, ESPN.